We good, TJ? Yes. So we're doing Stations of the Cross, and I'm in particular going to look at the figure of Simon of Cyrene. Uh, I think there's an image. Uh, and I mean, not. we don't have a photograph. <laughs> it's been a long time. We have various images, though. Um, Simon of Cyrene uh, is an interesting character because we get about two sentences of detail, and yet he shows up in three of the four gospel accounts. <coughs> so in Mark and in Matthew and in Luke, Simon of Cyrene is there, and he carries Jesus' cross, and that should make us take note. That means it's important, right? Uh, we know a few things, and most of this, uh, even this is like, it's like educated speculation, right? We think of Simon of Cyrene as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Cyrene, by the way, is in northern Africa. So there's a good chance that he looked like this, even though uh, it rarely gets represented as an African, which is a problem that should raise questions like why. Why growing up is the image of Simon helping Jesus carry the cross white? Why is Jesus always white? That's a problem because he was from the Middle East, from Israel. He's a, he's a Hebrew. So this is weird, right? <laughs> yeah, what's up, Nina? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a problem, right? She, she, had a, she had to get children's Bible, blonde hair, blue eyed, probably with a British accent, if we could hear them talk. Um, that, that's not historically accurate, right? But we, we whitewash it. We feel more comfortable with a Jesus that looks like us. We just do. Uh, it's like there can be overt racism involved, but often it's like implicit, just like un unconscious. You just slowly want to worship people that look like you, right? You go to the Sistine Chapel, God's a muscular white dude. What do you know? That's, that's odd. But uh, that, it makes sense if you have this nature that wants to gravitate to people that are like you. Well, Simon of Cyrene over time becomes uh, one white guy just helping another, right? Probably not. Uh, if he's from Northern Africa, he probably didn't look like that. So uh, it's interesting uh, to think of an African helping Jesus and he has two sons, Alexander and Rufus, that uh, seem to be influential in the early church. Part of why people think Simon makes his way into three separate gospels is that his sons were influential in the early church. One way that might have happened um, is that uh, um, the men of Cyrene, so the term men of Cyrene gets mentioned in Acts chapter 11. They were part of the early church who were preaching to the Greeks, who were sharing the good news with the Greeks, right? So you think maybe this is part of what Simon's a part of, right? These men of Cyrene. Also, Rufus gets mentioned by name by Paul in the book of Romans, which is Simon's son. So you get a sense that this family had influence in the early church. And this is most likely why Simon gets listed by name, right? Uh, in the three Gospels is helping Jesus. I want you to try to put yourself in Simon's position just for a minute. Like, I want you to think about what this would be like. So you have a crowd. You have Jesus who's been beaten, who's had the crown. He's trudging through the streets, carrying his cross, stumbling. And at some point, the soldiers grab you, grab Simon, and say, you 
you're going to help this dude carry the cross. Now, we have no reason to think Simon knew Jesus. What would that be like? So I'm, this is what I want you to think about. This is the question I'm going to ask you to consider in your mind. You're in the crowd. You're watching this man who's been beaten, who's bloody, who's naked, carrying their cross to their own death. And you're the one who gets grabbed and called out to be the one to help. Would you consider the command to help Jesus carry his cross as a burden, as something to be avoided, as something to like shy away from? Or would you consider it to be a blessing? Uh, would you consider it an honor? Do you see the question? The command to help Christ carry his cross, a burden or an honor? Okay. Let me just tell you, Joe Bankard, for a second. Give you insight into me. This would be the worst. I would hate to be Simon. I can't even... T so let me get... On my honeymoon. So I'm on my honeymoon. We're in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. We go to a show. The show has a magician. It's bad. It's almost like comedy magic. It's so bad, right? <laughs> but he decides he... Because this, right? He wants people from the crowd. So pretty soon, he's like looking around like you, right? Come up and I don't know, I'm going to saw you in half or you're going to, something's going to happen. You're going to be, I hate it. This is like one of my major fears is getting called up on stage. And that's weird. I know because I do this every Sunday, but I know what I'm going to say. I have notes. It's, I control it to just call me up and have me stand up in front of people. And then you're going to embarrass me or something. No. So I literally made Kelly leave. We left the show. And the re and she, because let me just tell you, as soon as he's like looking in the crowd, like I need a volunteer, Kel is basically like full eyes, like hand raised, and my head goes down, like I don't want to be seen. But you know that the magician's never going to call on Kel. He's going to find me and call on me because he knows I can be embarrassed. I'm going to turn red. It's going to be awful. So I'm like, no. So we're like, excuse me, excuse me. I literally grabbed her and we left. We, were, we went to Disneyland like two years ago with our kids. We went to Disneyland and they have like a stage where they've got stormtroopers and, uh, you know, I don't, Darth Vader or whatever. Kylo Ren, excuse me, Nina just corrected me, Kylo Ren. And he's like, they got a whole play going, right? So it's like stormtroopers and, and then it's like all of a sudden they're going to like, are you with the rebellion? They're starting to call on people in the crowd. Like they're going to get arrested by the stormtroopers or whatever. And again, I'm not joking you, I, I realized what was going to happen, and so I, I just disappeared. So Kel and the kids turn around, I'm just gone. They don't even know where I am, I'm just gone. I am, I, there's no way, there's no way I'm getting called up on stage. I hate it. So the idea that somehow Simon is just going to get pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross feels like my worst nightmare realized. But here's the thing. Part of what I want to talk about, maybe the main thing I want to talk about is figuring out what it looks like to reframe carrying Jesus's cross. Like I want to try to reframe carrying the cross of Christ from a burden to an honor, to like the, the most noble calling any of us have to pick up our cross and to follow after Christ. This is the call, right? But how do I frame it away from it being a burden to the thing that will ultimately infuse my life with meaning and purpose. It will lead me down the road of the abundant life. But that's not easy. 
for me to reframe it because for Simon to have to carry Jesus' cross sounds terrible. Let's put a pin in it. Are we okay? Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about reframing. So I want to talk for a minute about the Olympics because this is fun. So the Olympics. Uh, I think I've got a picture here. Michael Phelps. Um, I don't mean to make you stumble, ladies. I just, this was the only, this is one of the only pictures I could find. He, you, literally, he's got two handfuls of medals you can't even see in the shot. I didn't want to go any lower. So all you can see are the, <laughs> all you can see are the medals. I mean, there's, he has more than I can even count. So, so many different golds, all that. Silver's right. Most decorated Olympic athlete of all time. Did you know, though, the least happy person at the Olympics is the silver medal winner. Did you know this? So they've actually done official research. So let me show you a famous face. Go to the next slide. And I'm, why, it's, uh, why can't I think of her name now? Oh, her last name's Maroney, but I can't think of her first name. It's like Jana Maroney. So she was a gymnast. This was her fate. No, no, don't go too fast. That was literally her face on the podium as they're playing the national anthem. She has the silver medal. Really? <laughs> You're the second greatest gymnast on the face of the earth. You are better than every other gymnast except one person, and that's the response, right? So you can go. And then there's been a whole kinds of memes about it. So you can see this is a great meme with Obama. When she went to the White House, I think the next one has it. They do the face together. <laughs> right? So the face becomes famous, right? But here's the thing. It's not just her. Go to the next slide. There's a bunch of these pictures from silver medalists. All of these people won the silver. I want you to look at those faces in the upper left. That's Phelps, actually, in the team. As a team, they came in second. It's like a relay. I don't know what's going on. So they've actually done research, and here's how they do it. We know that humans make faces and, and body language associated with joy, associated with pride, associated with elation, and we make facial expressions that are associated with pain, that are associated with disappointment, that are associated with agony, right? So go to the next one. So here are the findings. Gold medal winners are by far the happiest. That's not a surprise. Bronze medal winners are the second happiest in terms of their face, their, their words they use, the, demonstrate, the, the way in which they demonstrate their behavior, right? Silver medal winners, ironically, are the least happy, right? You can go to the next slide. So Tom, you can look it up. Tom Gilovich, right? It's all published. So they had students going through scores of video and audio just trying to see the faces on the podium, in the lanes, whether, whether they're swimming or in the track. They tried to rank each on an agony to ecstasy score from 1 to 10. Gold gets a 9.3. Bronze, on average, a 7. Silver, on average, a 4.8. Not even close. Go to the next one. You can see his picture. Next one. Our frame of reference seems to matter. Can you tell me why you think silver medalists are the saddest? I came so... I was 0.001 seconds. It's always like some horribly close number, right? I was so close, right? I'm assuming that's why they're unhappy. This close to the gold. Oh, and it just didn't happen, right? So you're less happy. Why are the bronze medalists more happy? <laughs> they, I made it. What were you going to say? Because I was going to get second or 
I, so the bronze is like, well, I wasn't going to get first because I'm this far back, but at least I'm not one of the nameless, faceless, you know, rabble behind me uh, in the event, right? I made the podium. But you realize, though, that all of that is about how you frame it, right? All of that is how you decide, how you choose you're going to frame it. You can either say, I was faster than every human on planet Earth except this one person. Isn't that amazing? Or you can say, I was so close to gold, and now the silver feels like not nearly as much of an accomplishment as it should. Whereas the bronze person by nature is saying, oh my gosh, thank goodness I made the top three. At least I get to stand on the podium. But that doesn't have to be. We, we get to decide how we want to frame something. But this is our life. I mean, you do realize how good your life is, right? You realize you live in abundance, peace and safety. I'm not being persecuted by the police or the military. I have access to food. I get to vote. Uh, uh, you know, I, I can go get educated if I need to. I can I mean, think about your life in relationship to the rest of the world, to so many people who are like war-torn, just went through an earthquake in Turkey, are suffering through a war, and you can think about it. And yet, do you want to know what I do? I act like the silver medalist. I act like, yeah, but what about those people that live in the foothills? They have less problems than me. Oh, but you know, my neighbor's 80, and they're perfectly healthy, and I'm not. How, how, how lucky they are, and I'm not. Oh, I know, you know, my fam, so-and-so, they don't work nearly as hard as me. They get paid twice as much. You find the 1% of people that have it better than you, and that's who you choose to frame your life by. And when you do that, you're the grumpy silver medalist. Now, let me just tell you, because I just said that, and as the words came out, that came out so judgy. Joe, <laughs> Joe Bankard is the silver medalist. I am not immune. I do this. I find the 0.01% of people that have a better life than me. I frame my life. Social media doesn't help. I'm like, they're happy, they're happy, they're on vacation. Oh, why is my life so miserable? But I don't want to be like that. I want to be like the silver, or I want to be like the bronzist. I want to be the one who says, my gosh, think about all that I had. I, I, I could have ended up like so many others that have it so much worse, but not me. Or better yet, I should recognize for, from no success of my own, I won the gold just by being born uh, in a place where I feel safe and free. Man, that's hard. It's hard to do that. Okay, how you frame your life matters, right? Don't be the silver medalist. So let's go back for a moment to Simon, where my immediate response, my immediate reaction would be, this is a horrible burden. I don't want to be singled out. I certainly don't want to carry the stranger's cross. This sounds horrible. The whole thing is like one giant Greek tragedy. I don't want to be a part of it. But if you gave enough distance, if you could really just get enough distance from that moment and ask yourself, but think about that. Simon got to carry the cross of Jesus. Simon got to help Jesus carry his cross to fulfill this like divine love story. And forever he will be the one who did that. 
and that to me feels way more like an honor. In the moment, up close, burden, no thank you. Legacy, distance, long term, oh my gosh, what an amazing honor. And I wonder if we could begin to look at our lives this way that the places that God is asking you to pick up your cross, Jesus' cross, the cross of others, to bear the burden of others, when God is asking you to bear those burdens and they feel burdensome in the moment, I wonder if you might take a moment to frame that though, that in the long term, this will be an honor to walk the journey with this hurting person the suffering other, those that need your help. That in the end, this will be your road to the abundant life. Do you think you could frame it that way? I do. I think I can do it. What might look like a difficult burden to help those in need becomes an honor. I'm grateful for the opportunity. This infuses my life with meaning and with purpose. Okay, I'm going to say one more thing. You don't get off the hook too easily. One more thing and I'll be done. I want you to think just for a second about the fact that Jesus Christ needed help. He couldn't do it on his own. He literally could not pull the cross to Golgotha on his own. That's your king. That's who you serve. Someone who could not do it on their own and needed help. You worship that. And yet, you and I pretend like we don't need each other. You pretend like you don't need help. Like you can do it on your own. You, it's, like the, it's like shameful in your mind to say, I need help. I can't do it. Will you, will you, will you bear this with me? You won't ask for it. But why? It's the king we serve. It's God incarnate. Couldn't do it on his own. He needed help. Swallow your pride. Stop pretending you can do it on your own. I'm saying this to myself. Joe, stop pretending. Joe, stop doing it. We need each other. Sometimes you get to be Simon and that feels good. I like being Simon. But sometimes you have to be Jesus. And in this case, it doesn't mean walking on water. And in this case, it doesn't mean multiplying loaves. Being Jesus means you have to be the one that says, I need help. Will you bear this with me? I pray, I pray that you will reframe that. That is not shameful. That is courageous. When you ask for help, that is not shameful and that is not weak. That is being like Jesus. WWJD, he'd ask for help. That's what he would do. He would say, help me. Stay with me. Pray with me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you give us a call, that you call us to pick up the cross of others, and that as much as it feels like a burden, we know, Lord, that it is ultimately a blessing. And I just pray that we can reframe that in our hearts and minds, that we could experience that in real time. And I also pray, Lord, that we might have the courage that you demonstrated the courage of Christ to say we can't do it alone and that we need you deeply and we need each other. Help us to reach out for help when we need it. Amen.